thank you for joining us for another Kingdom Conversation with Pastor Dominic Butler of Gold Street Garden Church. We are extremely grateful to serve Christ alongside so many wonderful people in this crucial hour. All over the world, God is moving in profound ways through surrendered hearts. We've designed these conversations to illuminate what God is doing and speaking in various regions, because as we gleam and learn from one another, we become more equipped for every good work. The body of Christ is full of precious gifts and callings that manifest in unique and dynamic ways. And because of this, we are so excited for today's conversation as we learn more about the most beautiful one, Jesus. These Kingdom Conversation live streams are a part of Gold Street Garden Church, located in the Palm Harbor, Clearwater, Florida area. For more details, go to goldstreetgarden.com and follow us on social media for all of the freshest content. Enjoy this wonderful time in the presence of God as we talk about the King and His Kingdom. How's everybody doing this wonderful Monday evening? I'm really excited. We're about to embark on a new journey together on the next foreseeable few Monday nights, and that is we're going to be doing a book study. We're going to go through the book of Colossians together. And I'm really excited about this because this is one of my favorite epistles that Paul wrote because of the compact nature of theology and the heartbeat behind this book is just absolutely awesome. It's just, it leaves you awestruck in the way that Paul, via the Holy Spirit, was able to pack so much revelation about who Jesus is in such a short letter. And I really encourage you, share this as you're jumping on right now, and that this is literally going to be, um, I'm very thankful over the years of teaching at different Bible colleges and being involved with studies that I'm going to give you as much rich content as I can That from an academic standpoint, from things that I, I've seen and give you some resources, but also we're going to keep the lens about the, the lens we look through studying this book will be intimacy with Christ, that we're not reading the Bible to get smarter in our heads. We're reading the Bible to become more transformed in our hearts. So whenever I approach studying the word that learning so many different avenues as I'm studying are exciting, like learning the culture of the time it was written learning the audience that the author of the book was speaking to. And we'll go through some of those things to just enhance the verbiage, to enhance the terminology that was used while we're reading. So what we're going to do, the reason it's going to take a couple of weeks is because we got to set a little bit of a, a preface for this book. And then we also need to Go verse upon verse, line upon line, and that that's going to be an organic nature of how we do that, and we'll we'll know where to kind of end. We're going to try our best to kind of go through a chapter a night, but I already know from my preparation that we're that's not possible tonight, <laughs> just because of where we're at with some things. But I highly encourage you to tap into this, and if uh, you're just now listening to this on the podcast or later, you are you're listening to something that's going to truly bring great enhancement to your study of the Word of God. We're going to learn how to really look at the scriptures through this as well. And the reason Gold Street Garden is doing this, and I felt it in my heart, is we really need to fall in love with reading the Word again. 
across the board. It needs to be a daily practice. And if studying a book can be like a devotional to you all, and you can really learn how exciting it is to search out the just the different premises of when you're reading, like finding out why was that word there? Why did Paul or why did that author reference that person? Why did he talk about that city? Why did he emphasize that? We want to really look into all of that. So I'm so excited to do that. But before we do that, let's uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful evening that we set apart to study the book of Colossians and embark on this journey as a group, as a body to say, Lord, we want to know you more through your word and all that you're doing in our lives. We love you. Holy Spirit, guide us through these scriptures. Don't allow us to get head smart, but heart transformed. In Jesus' mighty precious name, everyone said amen. Hallelujah. Well, put amen in the comments if you're uh, trucking along with us. Also want to give a quick announcement that tomorrow evening, uh, if you're listening to this in real time, tomorrow evening at Tuesday, 4.55 Riviera Road, we're having our service continuing the non-negotiable series talking about trusting the Lord. And we're also going to be doing water baptism. So if you have not been water baptized or desire to do it afresh because you, whatever things have gone on in your life, you de- you desire to do it afresh because of a conviction, please come ready to be water baptized tomorrow. Bring a change of clothes. We're going to do it during worship and then you can go get changed and come sit in service. It's going to be an amazing night. We already have multiple people signed up and just wanted to give you that invite. So let's do this. We're going to start in chapter one with the book of Colossians. I want to first off say, say this, that this book was written 60 years after Christ's death and resurrection. So 60 AD is when this letter was written based off the knowledge that we have, have bit that has been collected over the years. And it is very, very easy to determine that Paul wrote this as a prison epistle. So he wrote this while, if you read Acts chapter 28, if you didn't know this, it's important to realize that the book of Acts is literally a chronological timeline for all of the letters that are being written in the rest of the the New Testament. So as you're reading the book of Acts, all like Romans to Revelation was all written during the period of the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is like a chronological timeline. So it's not like when you get to the book of Romans that the book of Romans took place later than the book of Acts. No, the book of Acts is actually the lifeline of all those letters that came forth because that's what they are. They're letters. Um, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, who was a, a physician which is amazing when he, whenever you see him write about miracles, healing miracles, that he was a uh, a, a physician. So he really, for him to really be descriptive with the diseases or whatever medical ailments needed to be dealt with when Jesus performed miracles, and also in the Book of Acts, the miracles and the resurrections that take place, it it holds a lot of weight coming from. A physician who, once again, another thing about a physician we need to know is a physician takes really good notes when they're doing diagnosis and writing down things to document the progress with patients and so forth. So that's why the book of Luke and the book of Acts are such substantially written, very articulate. And then we have the book of Colossians, 
when you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter of the book of Acts, talks about Paul being uh, in in house prison. Uh, he was on house arrest pretty much, but he was able to write and things as he pleased, still spreading the gospel all over the region, particularly in Rome, because that's where he was in prison. He was imprisoned in Rome, and Rome was the main source of communication to the world at that time. So perfect, perfectly set up by God that he was on house arrest and he wrote the book of Colossians. Now, when he wrote the book of Colossians, it's important to realize that Paul has had never actually visited Colossae, which was the, the church of Colossae, the region of Colossae was near Ephesus and Ephesians and Colossians are extremely similar books in a lot of verbiage. There's a lot of terminology that is very similar. And it's because those books really come from the same lifeline, the same error. But Ephesus was the main region and Colossae was just a little a little distance from, but it was it was part of the community, but not a direct part. Paul visited Ephesus and was very familiar with Ephesus and the work that got done in Ephesus because Ephesus was the hub for a major trade route. So like there was trading going on from all over the the world and Ephesus was like the 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 hub of that. So there were so many different nations, so many different cultures, so many things going on. So Ephesus was like a very multicultured uh it was a way to reach the entire world. There was so much action going on in Ephesus, a huge tourist spot, so to say, we would look at in today. But with that being said, Colossae was kind of separate, but still near Ephesus. So Paul's work in Ephesus had such an impact that it rubbed off in Colossae, and Colossae ended up being a very prominent place for believers to grow. And we'll find out that somebody that was used there was uh i make sure i have everything right was epiphorus which he was a a man that god used uh through paul to be the starter of the movement in Colossae. he heard the messages of paul about christ and then he taught his region of Colossae and really started a whole movement that we'll read about in the first chapter that that brings so much up so this gets me i wanted to get all you know, some of that out of the way, and we'll go over some more natural facts regarding the writing as we go. But the thing that I really want you to see as we go through this chapter is this, is that Paul has never been to Colossae. He's only heard of what God has done through that region through Epaphras. So Epaphras was sharing with him what's taken place. And the main problem that is, there's a threat that's coming to the church of Colossae and to the Colossians. And what it is, is that there's a lot of Greek philosophers because, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek and Rome. You hear about all the, um, you know, you got mythology, you got all the ancient Greek gods, you got so much going on with Gnosticism. And, you know, Gnosticism is, you know, getting to a place where you believe that, uh, you know, this esoteric knowledge, this knowledge that's only for an elect or a select few. It's this, it's, you know, and that's why we got to be really watchful because in the world, this is what they, they would consider a higher power or 
just they they have knowledge that other people don't have that allows them to escape the dealing with the you know the the turmoil of this world they find their own little mental spiritual safe haven through their own once again just exotic teachings that they go through and paul was hearing about these greek philosophers that were coming in to the church of Colossae after epaphras had really established a foundation of the gospel there was false teachers coming in and uh one thing that i really loved when i was studying this again getting it in my heart afresh is that false teachers don't go to reach the lost they go to the where the established people are and try to lead people astray. So the way you can tell somebody's a false teacher is they're not trying to reach the lost. They're just trying to confuse the the save, the, the sheep. They're trying to confuse those who are already. That's how you can tell a, a false teacher's motive is that they're not going to win, win the lost. They're just trying to mess up um, what God's doing in a body. And it's all demonic. And it's, we got to, call that out for what it is and get it get straight so that's why we're going through line upon line so paul knowing what he's dealing with there's also asceticism going on which is people literally cutting themselves and demoralizing themselves to try to pay retribute for their their ways apart from god so there was also just a lot of uh the law with the jewish people trying to exalt the the feast above Christ work trying to say that if people aren't doing still things like this then they don't and it was so much going on that what Paul does in the book of Colossians that's so amazing is he just talks about how Jesus is this is the supreme that he is the preeminent one and that's why the book of Colossians is so amazing cuz Paul is making a case that Jesus is the head of the church he's the all in all he fills all and any teaching that isn't completely centered around Jesus is false and it it needs to be thrown out and it's completely demonic and that's why this book is so powerful cuz Paul passionately is reaching out to a group that he knows is having revival so to say just totally understanding the gospel but there's false teachers that he's been hearing are going to this region and this is his message to them is to to continue to reaffirm the position of christ in their life and in their hearts so i I hope that that's enough of a a little bit of an intro so we can kind of start going through line upon line i highly encourage please send your questions you can dm the church and i will answer them the best that I can through my studies with this and just asking the Holy Spirit. And I love what Smith Wigglesworth always said. He said, some people study, some people study in the Greek and the Hebrew. I study in the Holy Spirit. Not And it's not to uh, to come against the Greek and the Hebrew. It's amazing to learn more of that. And I, I study that as well and try to become more well-rounded in the original languages. So that way things don't get lost in interpretation because there's so many words keeping the heart where it needs to be. So let's start going through this uh, line upon line. Paul is the writer, if you haven't caught that by yet. I know I didn't just say, but Paul is the writer of the author of the book of Colossians by the Holy Spirit, and he's writing to the church of Colossae at a time where there's a huge threat of stealing the authenticity of the gospel. And Paul is addressing that by, by just completely exalting the character of Jesus. And that's why you you should love this this letter. 
So we're going to start in verse 1, and I believe we'll kind of get maybe 20 verses in. We'll talk about them as we go and see as the Holy Spirit's leading us in this. So we have in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul is starting this whole letter out by making it clear of who he is. And I, I notice that he doesn't ever refer to himself as apostle Paul. He's He refers to himself as Paul and that the apostle is something that Jesus Christ has called him to. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he is completely submitted to Christ as his headship for everything he's going, which he's going to talk a lot about in the book of Colossians for the church, being the head of the church, Christ. So by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, and we know how important Timothy is to Paul. He wrote two letters specifically to Timothy. And in those letters, it's actually one of his last letters is the book of, or the letter of second Timothy. So Timothy is a dear son of his in the faith doing the work of the Lord for him when he was in, while Paul's in prison, Timothy's out going about just like Epaphras, who we'll talk about here in a second. So to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So do you see how he's addressing them? He's about to, you know, bring warnings and talk, but he, he's encouraging them and edifying them. He says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So he's never met them, but he's heard a report and he's, he's encouraging and edifying their faithfulness to Christ. And then the latter part of that verse is grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul started out most of his greetings on to all of his letters. He wanted to send grace and peace from God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping them together. So and on one side note, this is the, the reason that Paul always put Jesus Christ and God the Father in the same sentence together because all the teachings were going, the false teachings were trying to, to make Jesus still important but not essential. And I want to share this with you. This is something the Lord spoke to my heart as we keep that, that Jesus is God's idea of the perfect gift. So when you read John 3, 16, when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. So Jesus is God's idea of the perfect gift because no other gift represents the totality of his heart. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is God's idea of the perfect gift because no other gift represents the totality of his heart. That Jesus is the representation of who God is. And I want to share that's why he's making such a case that Jesus and God are the same. And this is how we need to perceive because he's bringing this, the, the same status of superiority in our lives. That Jesus came to represent who God truly is and he is God. He is part of the Godhead. And false teachers, they won't deny the importance of Christ, but they will dethrone the divinity of Christ. I want to say that again. False teachers will not deny the importance of Christ, but they will dethrone the divinity of Christ. That is the problem. That's why the Antichrist spirit 
is the spirit that will not confess Christ as a Lord. False teaching will try to say that Jesus is a way or there are many ways or Jesus is something like it's just like a a higher power teaching. No, it is the power teaching. It is all him. And we're going to go through that. But once again, false teachers won't deny the importance of Christ. They'll dethrone the divinity of Christ. It's very important that, you know, there's so many Christians, you know, let's just go down the line. You can go, you know, when you talk about Jehovah Witnesses nowadays, they can like paint pictures that make it seem like it's a real spiritual thing with God. But there are things that they don't believe in. This goes down. You go down to Seventh-day Adventist. You go down different rabbit trails of things that appear to be Christian appear to be higher, but they're, they're, the line has to be drawn in the sand. It's Jesus is Lord of all, that his divinity is not something to be, it's not even to be contemplated. It's not, to, there's no entertainment that he is not Lord and his supremacy. And that's what Paul's addressing in the book of Colossians. So Once again, Jesus is God's idea of a perfect gift because it represents the totality of his heart. Amen. So, so good. So verse three, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I have heard of you and this is what I have heard that your faith in Christ and your love for others is remarkable. And I give thanks to God because I haven't even been there and I'm hearing that you're you're operating in the exact message and the exact principles of who you are called to be as a follower of Christ. So because, verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. I want to share this. The gospel is the only seed that you can plant anywhere on the planet and it will produce fruit. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is the only seed that you can plant anywhere on the planet and it will produce fruit. You, there's so many seeds that you can plant places. You can't grow uh, certain things in the desert. You can't grow certain things even in warm weather. You can't grow certain things. Like There's so many things, that, but the gospel is the only seed that you can plant anywhere in the world, and it will produce fruit. And this is what's saying, which has come to you in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. This is how you know a church, a body of believers is truly following Christ is you're going to see the fruit of the gospel. What is the fruit of the gospel? It's people loving nonstop, representing the character of Christ, not letting just people idly walk by without telling them that Jesus saves, not keeping quiet to the point this is you're going to see fruit get produced where the gospel is being preached so when you complicate the word of god i heard a great minister say this to me recently and he said that if i can't explain the gospel or a message i'm about to preach to my five-year-old if i can't 
if my five-year-old can't understand the message that I'm trying to preach to an audi- a church, an adult church audience, then I haven't mastered it yet. I haven't mastered the truth because the truth is simple enough for a child to understand. And we need, that's where we're going with this tonight, that it just has to be Jesus, that, that the book of Colossians is making the, the solid case that Christianity is not based on a moral system alone. It's not based on just a good doctrine alone. It's not based off just good, just good theology. It's based around a person and his name is Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus. That's You see, he tried to send the law to fix everything. Not, not, and I, I, let me take that back. God doesn't try anything. He, he's very purposeful, but the, what I should say is the law tried us. So he did send something on paper, just like a message, like, hey, you do this, things are going to be, but that he sent Jesus because his message needs a personality. It needs a, it needs to represent his character. I talk about this all the time, but texting can sometimes be so dangerous because texting people can assume the way that you're speaking your tone. They can assume a very simple thing as something sarcastic, or they could assume that there's a, another interior motive about it. But when you talk to somebody and they hear your tone of voice, we always say at Gold Tree, something the Lord put on my heart a long time ago, is let our language be truth, but our tone be love. So when love is filling the content of your words and your vocabulary of truth, it represents something. That's why God needs to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So when you speak his word, you're speaking it from the spirit that he wrote it with. You see, you can just take words from the Bible and manipulate it with a demonic spirit because they are just words until you breathe the spirit of life is breathed upon them. So it's really good stuff. So I wanted to just make sure we're emphasizing that. It is since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, sorry, I lost my place for a second, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras is making he's gotten to meet with Paul Paul has not been to Colossae and he is just sharing about their love and how they're standing in the gospel and Paul's writing to them because Epaphras also is sharing with them about what these Greek philosophers and these Pharisees and these just uh asceticism and Gnosticism all this stuff is infiltrating the church trying to steal away the purity of the gospel and seeing Jesus as the supreme head of the church and trying to um man always wants to and you have to hear this that Jesus Christ is the revelation of all revelations. So many people are always looking for a new revelation. You do not need a new revelation. You need a greater revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we're about to, I'm about to make that case biblically through Colossians, what Paul is addressing here. It's all Jesus. I say this all the time. Don't read 
this don't search the scriptures for revelation search the scriptures for jesus and be a revelation to the world because jesus can be found in every scripture jesus even said in john chapter 8 he says don't you realize you search the scriptures and they testify of me they they testify of me you're searching for something but they testify of me i am the word I, you're looking for me. So when you read the scriptures with the lens of Christ, you then see the Bible makes, it makes sense when you read it with the lens of Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to tune your, to just equip your heart and shape your heart to see Jesus. So as you keep reading verse nine, it says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. So everybody's got to get focused here. Paul is about to share a prayer that he prays for the church of Colossae. This is what he's asking the Lord via the Holy Spirit. So we're going to kind of make a little bit of a list here and please comment the list as I share the things that he says here. So that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So everybody, number one, filled with the knowledge of his will. This is what he is praying for them to have. You see, this is so important because I'm not negating the importance of praying for material things and believing for material things. That's awesome. And the Lord will place it on your heart and he's a good father. He'll provide, he'll make things happen. He'll blow your mind because he's amazing. But Paul is showing us what our priority should be when we're praying for others and praying for ourselves, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Why does he want them to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Well, what is God's will? You see, you have to remember a will is something that we are familiar with, that a will is something that uh, a patriarch in the family writes to release that when they pass that what they have now the inheritance goes to the next generation well what is god's will it is jesus jesus is our inheritance and we need to be filled with the knowledge of jesus the will of god is personified through Christ. So he is saying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, when we hear the term filled in the New Testament, it says, don't be filled with anger. It says, don't be, uh, it says, don't be even intoxicated with, with, uh, alcohol, but it says be filled with the spirit. So when we see the term filled and you see, don't be filled full of anger, it's talking about being controlled by something and not controlled in a manipulating sense. It's saying that anger, when you're full of anger, that that will that'll make you make dis impulsive decisions. So when you are full of the knowledge of his will, you will make decisions based off knowing him. This is everything. This is why Paul is exclaiming, you need to know Christ because when you know Christ, all your decisions will be made from that foundation. I can't emphasize this enough. I think sometimes we make the mistake of asking, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but I do believe it's a, if it's a, a constant reoccurring thing, you need to 
listen to me very closely. And this is what I'm going to say. Sometimes we're constantly asking God for direction on decisions. And the reason we do this is because if we really knew him, we would always choose the path that led us to more of him. We wouldn't be concerned with the options. Like it wouldn't be, oh, I don't know which one to do. It would be, oh, this one is where I see him. Because when you know him, you see him. And decisions aren't based off what looks better. It's what looks like him. It's what is him. And that's why you need to be full of the knowledge of his will because you're full of the revelation of knowing Jesus. Hallelujah. So then it says to be filled in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So say that all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Jesus is actually anointed our wisdom in the book of first Corinthians chapter one says that Jesus has become our wisdom. So full with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, spiritual understanding is what Paul's about to explain that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the firstborn over all creation. And we're going to get to that in a second. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but spiritual understanding is, is never falling victim to allowing the natural lens of this earth to dictate your decision-making or to dictate your belief system. Spiritual understanding is, is knowing and being heightened to the reality that this world was framed by the word of God. It says it in Hebrews chapter 1, or in Hebrews chapter 11, that the world was framed by the word of God. That means that this world that we see in the natural was formed by the spiritual. So to have spiritual understanding means that I can't have the proper impact in the natural until I see in the spiritual because every take everything starts in the spiritual before it manifests in the natural so paul is trying to say you need to be filled with the knowledge of his will because when you know christ you start seeing where everything started and then you see where you've missed it and why you if you start anything without christ you'll always have to start over because he is the beginning he is the journey and he is the finish line it is all Jesus. So spiritual understanding is learning that I don't act impulsively based off reactionary to the natural elements. I always go, I make decisions off my relationship based off my relationship with Christ, period. And my belief system, as he's addressing here, don't change your belief system, Colossians, because you're hearing all this exotic, cool teaching of higher powers and different things. And it's trying to puff your mind up and make you feel all smart. Like, you know, all these things. No, it's simply a relationship with Jesus, understanding the cross and the resurrection. And that in itself, God says is his eternal trophy. And we should celebrate that eternal victory Every time we get in the word, that's why Jesus said, take communion often in remembrance of me. He wants us to constantly be having breaking bread with our brothers and sisters over the reality of knowing him. Amen.
Hallelujah. So thank you, everybody, that's jumping on still and being with us. I'm just uh, saying hi to a few people. Uh, thank you um, that we are having such a beautiful time on here. Make sure you share this. And I, I sense the Holy Spirit so greatly as we, I love talking about the Word of God when Jesus is the the lens of knowing Him more, intimacy with Christ. So where were we at? Uh, so all wisdom, spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. So why do you need to be filled with the knowledge of His will? So you can walk worthy. What is this talking about? Representing Christ and his character. This is what false teachers do not. This is what hypocrites do not. This is where hyper grace teaching needs to be dealt with. Because if the more you come to know him, the more you should walk like him. Not walking like a fool. Now, am I saying you don't make mistakes? You don't, you know, they're... they're I, repent like David. David made a lot of mistakes, but he had a heart after God. He was quick to own up to it and move forward. Peter, same thing. He denied Christ. You know, men and women of God have made mistakes, grave mistakes that still finished well, served the Lord. But we need to be filled with this knowledge so we walk worthy. This is righteous living before the Lord. The more you know the righteous one, the more you will reflect his righteousness. He... He became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God in him. So he took on your nature and crucified it on the cross so you could inherit his nature. This is where spiritual understanding and knowing his will, that if God, when you allow God to work in your heart, you will manifest his work. and. His work will be the fruit of the work he's doing in your heart. Amen. So walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6, that it is impossible to please God without faith. So pleasing him is all about faith. But faith in what? Faith in faith? Faith in grace? Faith? No, faith in Jesus. He is a person. He is the bridegroom. He is the, the, the church's husband. He is our elder brother. He is our redeemer. He is the lion and the lamb. He is the all in all. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the amen, the faithful and true. You need to have your faith in the person of Jesus, not in a teaching of Jesus not in a, it's just, it has to be real. It has to be a relationship. He's with us right now. This is why when Paul's writing this from a prison, when he's writing this from house arrest, he's writing about the one he loves and convincing others, don't get your eyes on inferior lovers. Don't get your eyes on anything other than the only one worthy of all of your attention, all of your affection. So being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So knowing him will increase your fruitfulness, 
your work for the Lord. This is why so many people try to get so many things done for God without knowing him. This is where the church has gone so wrong that there's nothing more successful than knowing Jesus a little more. Success is knowing him, not doing things for him. Doing things for him can only be done properly if you know him because you would know what he wants you to do. Amen. And that's why I can't emphasize again why we're doing this tonight. I want you to love reading the word of God. I want you to be in the scriptures and seeing Christ so preciously in your life. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. God's not mad at the fact you haven't been reading. Get it right tonight and say, you know what, Pastor Dom, I'm so thankful that you're helping me to see how fun and just revitalizing it is to lay my weary eyes on the life of the scriptures, that your weary mind that has been racing trying to figure life out needs to allow your heart to follow Christ and lead you into perfect rest. Jesus said, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. Amen. He said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. So he, he's saying, if you're going to learn how to find rest, you have to learn from me. Jesus is the teacher of all teachers, and the Holy Spirit helps us to translate what the Master is saying through his word. Amen. So then we see in verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. I want to talk about some serious power. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells in you, Romans 8, 15. This power dwells in you. Hallelujah. For all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, I'm excited about tomorrow night. If you're listening to this in real time, tomorrow night's sermon is going to be so dynamite. It always is. We're so thankful the way Holy Spirit shows up. But I know I have such a, a burning desire for tomorrow night to release the word. And patience and long suffering is huge with knowing Christ. It is. And sometimes we don't hear it about it enough that patience is the first thing love is acknowledged as in 1 Corinthians 13. When Paul is talking about love, he says the first thing, love is patient. And in original King James, love is long-suffering because patience is the hallmark way of saying long-suffering. It's the cute way. But one of the things came up in my spirit when I was reminding myself of patience again. The Bible even says in Hebrews that we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. That the marriage of faith and patience is how we finish our, our, our race and fight the good fight of faith. Is Patience is everything. Because God is love. And Paul says the first thing, love, the first attribute of love is patience. So you could say God is patience. And if you... If you've so the failure to grow in patience 
will stunt your growth in everything else. So to say it again, the failure to grow in patience will stunt your growth in everything. Failing to learn patience is the failure to learn anything. That patience is where everything happens. If you don't have enough, if you if you're not seeking the Lord to be taught how to be patient, you will prematurely make bad decisions every day. You will step into premature detours. Your life will be a detour if you don't learn patience. You will never be on the highway to your destiny if you don't master patience. And the only way you can master patience is if you invest time with the master of patience. It's really good. Hallelujah. So giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And you know what? Because of how big we're about to talk, I'm going to close it out for tonight because this is, we're about to go into a whole nother can of, of uh, glorious, I'm not going to say worms because uh, it's way better than that, but we're about to open up another can of glory <laughs> and with starting in verse 13. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop there. And this goes to show you how this could be a little bit of an exhaustive study. But I highly encourage you to share this and re-listen to this and read the first chapter of Colossians the remainder of this week. Read it every day. Read it while you're on breaks. And then we will pick back up next next week. And you know what we might even do because of where we're at? I might even use the heart school to, and we'll, we'll put it on the podcast as well, to keep this series going fresh, but that's just, I'm tentatively saying that if I don't stick to that, please don't hold me to it. I'm thinking out loud because of the nature of wanting to get this accomplished, but we love you all so much. We will see you tomorrow at Gold Street Garden Gathering, 455 Riviera Road. We're doing water baptisms. Come and celebrate with us. Every time somebody gets dunked in that pool, scream praise to God. We're so excited. We love you all so much. And we're so thankful for everybody that sows into Gold Street Garden. If you're listening and you're not watching, I have up on the screen right now, if you desire to sow into what's happening at Gold Street, we are currently believing for our own facilities, our own property, because of all the things we want to get done. We are doing massive outreaches this year. So if you want to get involved with that more financially, say you don't come to Gold Street on a regular basis, but you love the teachings, you love what goes on, please uh, put your faith to action and sow into what God is doing. You text GSG to 727-351-6160. Once again, you text GSG to 727-356160. We also have Gold Street Garden Cash App. It's literally just uh, the, the cash sign and then Gold Street Garden, all one word. And we also have Venmo at Gold Street Garden, all one word. You can also just go to goldstreetgarden.com and go to the give link and it'll help you there as well. But we love you all so much. Please join us tomorrow night as we celebrate what God is doing. And let's end with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you in the precious, mighty name of Jesus. Oh, thank you for uncovering more of your beautiful truth in the word of God as we study the book of Colossians. Let this all take such root in our hearts. And just as we said, 
that Jesus is God's idea of a perfect gift because it represents the totality of his heart. Lord, allow these truths to remain so anchored in our hearts, our souls, and our spirits. We love you, Lord. Father, I pray for everybody that's listening to this in real time or at a later date, that, Lord, I thank you that Christ would be revealed to them in such a real way. And, Lord, I want to pray the prayer Paul prayed over them again audibly. Father, that you may fill them with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, strengthened with all might according to your glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to you for them, Lord. Hallelujah. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow night. God bless.